Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright, and I'm joined with... Vicar Hill. And today we get to discuss the mystery of the epiphany of our Lord. And it's a mystery because there's so much to talk about, not that it's uh, this thing that's not understandable. It's Well, there's a lot to, to, to question in this. First of all, Vicar, I, I got a big question for you that you'll get uh, in Bible class. What does epiphany mean? I, I always ask the questions after I make a statement of any sort. Uh, do you have any, what is it, thoughts, questions, concerns, feelings, apparitions, visions, or epiphanies? Mm. And I've never had anybody offer an epiphany. And what I, I like about epiphany is it's a term that's thrown around a lot. I've had an epiphany. And it really just means revelation. Revelation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It means that something that was unknown is now made known. And I was trying to make a a bad joke about this being a a mystery because we spent the last hour trying to figure out what this text meant or what we could do with it from a, a preaching aspect. But it really is. There's a lot of mystery to the epiphany, the revelation of Jesus in this. Uh, the, the big questions, who is this? What does it mean? Uh, these are huge statements. But then at the end of the day, Jesus has been revealed. And I, I think that it's just fascinating because it's so lackluster. You have the text is St. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. It's the— this, this See, test. there's so much to talk yes. about. You're getting excited. Uh the, the wise men show up, and we attribute this to the epiphany, the revelation. The Messiah has come, and men from the east, following a star, show up to find this new king. And as we were talking before we push record, I really have this question. Did they show up, and I, I can't imagine how awkward this, this situation is, because they're looking for this new king. I mean, it's what they say to Herod. Where is the king of the Jews? That's not just a nice statement. That's not a general statement. That's not a, um, uh, a simple title. That's majesty. That's royalty. You don't throw that word, that title around. Herod is upset. And if you if you know anything about this Herod in particular, um, he does not take too kindly to people who are threatening his throne, his kingdom. Uh, we even have him uh, recorded as killing his own family members and, and really eliminating any threat uh, to his power and to his authority. Um, so this is really... Not the good a good person to bring up the word king around uh, if you're not talking about 
Herod. So there's a lot going on with Herod himself. And, and that's a very telling statement because even in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And, and of course, we're like, oh, it's a threat to power. He's probably upset. But then that next statement, and all Jerusalem with him. Mm -hmm. Jerusalem was scared that Herod is going to act. Yeah, so he, he kind of has this history of uh, of lashing out. He, he's built up a reputation of being kind of um, volatile when it comes to uh, keeping his role uh, that he's he's kept for a while now, and so any any inclination of of a threat is kind of a big deal. And the fact that all of Jerusalem, uh, there's there's bigger significance to that, uh, of course, with right. what Herod uh, does in response to this. So um, there's a lot of that goes into play with that. So the wise men show up. They're looking for the king of the Jews because they saw his star and they find him. And they give him three gifts, frankincense, myrrh, and gold. And being warned in a dream, they leave another way because Herod wants to kill him. He's a threat. That's the story. That's it. And again, the, the hugeness, the, the true mystery of the incarnation, God coming in the flesh, born as a child, I have no idea what the magi, the wise men are looking for. And it boggles my mind because they say king. They're walking down the streets of Bethlehem. Are they looking for a palace? Are they looking for the, the, the rich house? Are they looking for guards? I mean, they only find this place wherever Mary, Joseph, and the Christ child are because the star leads them. Mm -hmm. And I think to that point, um, you know, we, we don't know what they're looking for. Right. And there's probably a pretty good chance they don't know what they're looking for either. Um, they probably have, a f like you're kind of mentioning, there's some assumptions of what they think a king should be like, uh, hence the gifts that they bring. Yeah. But um, they might, and we don't know their reaction when they finally arrive, but um, it, we kind of get to, uh, you preached on a couple weeks ago, this idea of expectations. Mm -hmm. uh, and this kind of comes to mind for me as, as we see these wise men coming to see the king of the Jews, what the expectations were and if those were fulfilled or if those were kind of shaken a little bit. It's kind of interesting to think about. I, I, I really agree. Because um, one of the aspects or, or one of the interesting points that comes out in this text is you have two competing kings. Mm -hmm. You have Herod, who's in power, very earthly power. All of Jerusalem is scared of him. And then you got these foreigners showing up, and they ask to see the king, the king of the Jews. I think this is interesting. First of all, Herod is supposed to rule over the Jews. And now they have the king. And, and I'm curious, and, and Scripture doesn't reveal this. I understand that Herod sees this as a threat. But I'm wondering if he now feels disconnected. When did they get a king? Was there a coronation? Was I invited? What is this? Where is this? And then on top of that, foreigners— Mm -hmm. Unknown people show up. It's not the neighboring country. It's not the neighboring town. 
they're from the East. That's all we know. I'm sure they looked different, spoke different, and act different. And they know what's going on under Herod's nose. I think that's neat, interesting. And again, the, the whole contrast of kings. I think Herod thinks he's a good king. And I mean that in, in the ruling sense. Uh, he knows how to control his right. people. Nothing, yeah. there, you know, there aren't any open rebellions exactly. or mutinies taking place. Everything's kind of uh, under, under his, his thumb. Yeah. And then you got these guys show up. Where's the king of the Jews? That's insurrection. That, that, that's a threat to power and control and, and so on and so forth. And he gets the priests and the scribes. Who is this? And, and they quote the Bible. Uh, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then he summons the wise men. What are you talking about? <laughs> what, what's happening? Again, the, the contrast. You have Herod grasping for power. Mm -hmm. And you have baby Jesus, who is the king of all, who doesn't exercise his power and might in his true ruling privilege. This boggles my mind on so many levels. And one of the things that uh, I, I appreciate that you brought up, the expectations. We do not know what the wise men were looking for, but they asked for a king. Mm -hmm. And to push that a little further, um, if you're thinking about Herod too, I mean, he, he, he rules uh, through control, through mm -hmm. fear, manipulation, uh, even killing people. That's his kingdom. That's that's how he has established his authority and ruled over the Jewish people. Uh, and it is kind of, uh, I don't know if ironic is the best word, but you have uh, these wise men, the Magi coming, and they're asking about the king of the Jews. And the leader of the Jewish people, Herod, <laughs> has no idea yeah. about the the prophecies of old uh, that point to a Messiah being born. So it shows you uh, really the, the sharp contrast in kingdoms where you have Jesus who has come as a king in humility, yes. lowliness, as right. the most vulnerable uh, as one could possibly be in a, in a baby. And then you have Herod who's ruling kind of with this iron fist, uh, manipulating uh very political actor, um, and he's kind of being undermined in real time here by the wise men. Okay, so now that brings up another point uh, we, we discussed. How wise are the wise men? And, and this isn't to throw anybody under the bus or anything. I think this is an interesting question. Um, first of all, how do these magi, these wise men, know to look up into the sky and see, first of all, hey, there's a new star. Oh, Jesus is born. We should take a really long walk. We'll pick up some gifts and go visit him. How do they know about this? Because they're looking for the fulfillment of the prophecies of Jewish literature, Jewish scripture, Jewish prophecy. They're not Jews. Mm -hmm. They're not Hebrews. How do they know this? Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's kind of a, the big question. That's, that's a pretty debated thing, too, because um, multiple scholars and commentators have taken quite a few different views on this over the years. 
um, a good chunk of scholars would say that the wise men here, the Magi, were kind of the uh, the best and the brightest of the Gentile world, that mm-hmm. they would be very well studied in a variety of topics, maybe even including including astrology, uh, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and, and so the thought was by many people that these were kind of very inquisitive and learned men, uh, and they're trying to learn more about, well, I guess the Jewish people here, um, and, and that's kind of the typical fashion of viewing these men uh, and others kind of push back against that, but it's definitely uh, fun to kind of think about their perspective and where they're coming from. Oh, I agree. Uh, and, and then we also have uh, the the Magi. They, they appear in the book of uh, Daniel, and this is, of course, hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. And uh, I like the idea that Daniel showed them the Hebrew Scriptures. Now, with this, and I stress this, it's not like he laid down the Bible and said, I got this really cool book. You should read it. But he was God's prophet in this time in Babylon and with Nebuchadnezzar, and he showed everybody the power of God by God acting through him, by him preaching, so on and so forth. And I think it's fascinating that they continue to keep these scriptures. Now, with this, I also, and please hear my, my opinion, they put it on the bookshelf with all the other various religions that, and I think you, you said it really well, they have an intellectual curiosity for. They are genuinely looking with respect, with honor. Uh, this isn't, hey, I want to be a smart guy. It's there's something here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know our history, and we know these prophecies from this foreign country, so on and so forth. And for them to connect the dots, I think that is fascinating. Now, with that statement also, I don't think that they're so smart that they were reading the book of Daniel or, or the, the Psalms or, or whatever, and then looked up and said, oh, I'm going to connect the dots. This is absolutely the work of the Holy Spirit. This is absolutely the work of God's intervention, moving them, showing them. And this is something I also struggle on, and Vicar and I were talking about this before we pushed record, trying to find this balance where the Magi aren't bumbling idiots who stumble upon the Holy Family. Mm -hmm. And the brightest of all people that were able to discern through the Hebrew scriptures the prophecy that apparently everybody else missed. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in the middle, these magi fall. I don't know where. And it's hard because, I, I, as I told Vicar, I really want the magi to be innocent. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is they are willfully looking for the fulfillment of this prophecy. I don't think they have faith, and I don't think that they're looking for the Messiah. I think they're looking at this as this has been given to us. This is something that we've studied, and it's coming together. And they're asking a really good question. What is this? Mm -hmm. And they're very earthly in this, and I think you pointed this out in the sense that they're looking for a king, and they bring kingly gifts. Right. You don't go to a baby shower with frankincense. (laughs) 
you're going to be looked at as a weirdo. You know, I will say though, if you showed up to a baby shower with some gold, I don't, I, oh, you, I don't think they'd turn it down. Yeah, you'd be you'd be the popular guy. <laughs> but again, they go very earthly. They go as only they can go as Gentiles. They're looking for a king. And again, I don't know what their expectation is because we're we're not told. And again, I, I can't imagine how awkward that conversation meeting would be. You know, did they walk in? So where's the king? No, seriously, where's the king? Yeah. That's a baby. What's your line? What's, how do you have this, you know, and I don't think they had the checklist. I don't think that, but again, royalty's not found in Bethlehem. Mm -hmm. Royalty's not born in a barn. And again, I, I don't know how much the, the Magi know or understand, but but that, that earthly aspect. And again, I want to say innocence in the fact that uh, this is truly an epiphany for them. Mm -hmm. I don't think they get it. Right. And that's where uh, we, we kind of get to struggle into this uh, weird uh, intermediary. We're kind of speculating um, what their thoughts, feelings were, but we do know when they when they show up, they rejoice uh, and they fall down and worship. Right, uh, which kind of speaks to your point of, um, you know, they're they're not clueless. Right, they're definitely uh, sincere in what they're doing, but they're probably not getting the full, full, full picture of mm -hmm. what's happening. Uh, so they're bringing gifts, but like you mentioned, they're they're kind of odd gifts for a king for a for a child king um, but they do bring gifts so we're living in this this world where uh, th they are kind of showing this genuine whether it's curiosity or um, belief if you want to go that far there's something there but they're still kind of lacking in uh, in the in grasping the full picture of what's happening well even the uh, sailors in the book of Jonah after they throw Jonah off the boat and the sea is quieted, they sacrifice to God. They recognize something happened, but we have no indication that they're converted and mm -hmm. that they become uh, faithful followers uh, of Yahweh, just like we don't see anything. And I love that statement that you bring, because I don't know what to do, and I, and I mean that sincerely. They worshiped God, literally in His presence. And I don't think they got it in the fullness, very much like you said. This is something different. This is unique, and they worship. Right. And I would say um, kind of the an example of the fact that they didn't really get it uh, is the fact that they fall down worship, and then they leave, and they're about to go back to Herod. Right. Um, oh, I, I and that's, and that's where God steps in once again, as you mentioned earlier. But uh, that kind of shows, because if they really got it themselves, uh, they wouldn't go back to Herod and be like, right. oh yeah, Jesus is staying over here at the Holiday Inn, and here's where you can find him, because that would kind of put a wrinkle in things. Well, and I think you bring up the, the even bigger point. All of this happens because of God's interventions. Not only is the Word made flesh, the, the mystery of the incarnation, the, the, the mystery of God with us, Emmanuel, but how many times does God have to step in to reveal himself. The archangel Gabriel shows up to Mary. Mm -hmm. Joseph, time and time again, has to be told what to do. And, and again, I don't think Joseph's stupid or he's a bumbling idiot, but— he, Nobody's, nobody's uh, had to raise 
the Messiah before. Right, yeah. Nobody's had to deal with the Son of God. There's yeah. not like a, an instruction manual that came with the birth of, yeah. of Jesus. Everyone's still kind of trying to figure out what to do here. Uh, and that plays out, like you mentioned, I mean, right after this text, they, they end up uh, being warned in a dream to flee to Egypt. Right. So um, it's really... Nothing they're doing is is on their own, um, and it kind of, as you were talking, it reminded me of Luther's sacristy prayer. Oh yeah, uh, and there's a line in there. Uh, it's basically a prayer for for pastors, and I adopted as as vicar and changed yeah. the wording a little bit. Uh, but there's a line in there um, that says something to the effect of, "If I were to continue alone, I would have ruined it a long time." Right. Ago. <laughs> this idea that. Uh, the pastor, the the one serving in worship, is really just uh, an instrument uh, for God's purposes. And, and I just saw kind of a little connection here to the text because if the characters in our narrative here were to continue alone, were to were to try to figure things out on their own, uh, things would have gone south pretty quickly. I, I can't agree more, and I think that actually brings us to a bigger question uh, in application. And if we were to bring this text to us currently, not that we can find the Christ child in, in some uh, area that we wouldn't expect, but we do in the sense of why do you come to church? What is your expectation? Do you actually find Jesus there? Do you see him? And we can do this. Do you see him in the body and blood, the bread and the wine? Do you see him in baptism? Do you see him in the words of absolution? Do you see him in sermon? Do you see him in hymnody? Do you see him in liturgy? Do you see him in your neighbor and these expectations? And then on top of that, do we actually approach the mysteries of the church innocently with hands open for the expectation of it being filled with his gifts? Or have we come earthly and very much like the Magi? I'm expecting this mountaintop experience mm. where God comes to reveal, to give me the epiphany of epiphanies, and my life will be forever turned and good, right, solitary, you know, all these things. I, again, I really like the magic because I, I don't know what to do with them. And, and I'm so connected to them because I so seek to find Christ. And only by God's intervention has he been revealed to me. Because I, I would be lost in a book, lost in my uh, basement uh, office trying to find Jesus academically or through a book or through some stupid action that I think would win approval. Mm -hmm. But the Magi really show... And I love this because it's not about them being wise. It's not about them being um, smart. God reveals to even them the majesty of the king of the Jews, my king, my lord, your king, your lord, in the humility of a, of a baby, the, the Christ child. The humility of living the perfect life, the humility of dying on the cross, the humility of being preached by somebody like me to be given to you. These things are just huge. And with all of this, this is why I love this text because we can go so many directions. And not that they're wrong. 
but not that they're right. And the bigness of that's what God does to reveal himself. And I, I like that question at the end of the day, where do you find God? Is it where he has revealed himself or where you have put him or where you think you'll find him? And then what God did you find? Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable. And of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.